0: Hello, welcome to Dyslexia Explored. I'm Darius Nomderon and today we are going to talk about bilingualism. We're going to talk about dyslexia and how it can be confused with bilingualism. We're going to talk about how you can teach children using their visual abilities with dyslexia and um, just all sorts of interesting conversations here today. I've got uh, a passionate 24-year-old who is dyslexic, taught in Holland in an international school, has got a fascinating story about the whole dynamic of being misunderstood with bilingualism and dyslexia. And she has done really well, got great A-levels, gone to Brunel for a product design, ended up going to Imperial College, started to do quite a few projects round about dyslexia, and now has a really exciting project that she's working on for helping children with 3D letters and colour and learning to read and spell and so on using their uh, visual thinking. So I'd really love to introduce you to Amy Kiefen. Have I pronounced that right? Is it no. Kiefen? How do I say it?
1: <laughs> it's Kiffin.
0: Kiffin. okay, yeah. Amy, it's great to have you here. Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, it's so great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, we're gonna have a, a a great conversation. It's fascinating what what you've done in the last, I want you know, four to six years of. Well, we're gonna hear your story. So, where did it all begin? Like, I often like to ask people, you know, what was life like before you were aware of dyslexia, and what woke you up? So, what's your kind of wake up story?
1: Um, well, I was like those when I was seven, so I don't remember much before then. But I was born in the UK and then when I was about two as a family we moved to the Netherlands for my dad's job and I wasn't really speaking at that point but they just said it's fine it's late development that happens a lot. I'd say like a couple words but most of it was completely made up language that my parents just understood what I needed from it and when I started in like the nursery locally in Holland they were like it's fine she doesn't speak but that's really common for like Dutch English or non-native Dutch speakers she'll speak when she's ready to and I was about two and a half and I surprised my mum with a fully fully formed sentence that she had never heard me speak more than like a couple words and I was super adamant that I didn't want to go somewhere so I said me not go me stay home and at this point she was gobsmacked that I was speaking also adamant that I was going to go where we were going and I had a load of fun but at that point she was like okay she's Kitty very capable, but just speaks when she wants to, and she will make her voice known when she needs it. And she, my mum, kept like diaries of us growing up as kids, and there was an entry when I was about five of her saying like, "I think she might be dyslexic." But then that was it; like, no mention of it after that. Just the way that I was learning and processing and developing, because she was trained as a physiotherapist, so she had some awareness of uh, learning difficulties and diff- like different ways of learning. So she was always very aware and very supportive of me. Um, and when I was seven in the Dutch educational system, if you didn't do well enough, they'd make you reset a year. So I was basically asked to reset the equivalent of year two. And my parents thought this was ridiculous because what is a child at age seven going to learn by resitting a year? Except that they're stupid and they're incapable. So we went to go and have a test, um, and we went to get um, a specialist, a dyslexia specialist, who did the test in both Dutch and English to see was it that I was just unable to speak Dutch and therefore would need to move to an international school or was I actually very capable and, and fine and yeah the, the, the specialty was, was really encouraging he's like she's well above average for a seven year old even in Dutch like she's completely capable of speaking and understanding and comprehending all that stuff um, but reading is just difficult and that's fine I had to do those like shape tests where they make you build those patterns as quickly as possible and I was able to do everything up to 16 plus because it was a child's test that I was doing and I was seven and he was like she's very capable she's like extremely good with color and shape and patterns and you know she's not stupid and that point my I I made my mum cry by saying oh that's good to know I'm not stupid then am I and she was just like of course you're not stupid like it's just a different way of learning and so I went to an international school But even then, people weren't that accepting of what dyslexia was. And they were like, it's a fate, she'll grow out of it, she'll be fine. But I was still told back at my old Dutch school that I probably wouldn't finish high school. I definitely wasn't going to go to university because I just wasn't bright enough, because that's what they believed. Um, But my mum never, ever let me believe that. My parents were really encouraging and supportive with me. And so they fought for me to get the support that I needed in school. My mum did a lot to build up support networks for other parents who had kids that were potentially dyslexic but undiagnosed. um, Just to help build awareness and support for the parents going through not having their kids supported and being told that they're stupid as well. Because, you know, it's really, it's tragic that people don't accept that we learn differently. But one of my teachers when I was in year six, so the last year of primary school, he was amazing. He really supported me. He always believed in me. He gave oh, me so What was his name? Support. Mr. CV.
0: Mr. And he CV. He still
1: teaches there. Big shout
0: the out to Mr. CV at what? What school? Um,
1: it's called the International School in Eindhoven. Fantastic. Yeah, he's incredible. I actually went back to go teach his in his class a couple years ago. So that was really cool to see him again, but I'll tell that story in a bit. But yeah, so he said, okay, because we're not doing 11 plus exams, we have to do it anyway just as a benchmarking, but not for any like schooling exams you can have all day for every single test that we do so there was like four or five tests you do and I just got to do one a day for a week um, and I got someone to sit there and read the questions with me and just give me time and no pressure and just to see what I was capable of doing without any kind of restraints and I did extremely well to the point at which my classmates all said that I cheated because I was nowhere capable of getting in the 97th percentile for maths and English but clearly I was just not under the time restraints that, you know, school puts on you.
0: Well, the Um, interesting thing with that is that, you know, often people think if you get given extra time, you will automatically do better, but there's quite a lot of research. I mean, even in an IQ test, there are certain things in an IQ test. And I remember the IQ test with all the shapes and puzzles. And when I did it as a 35 year old, my assessor had to unpack a new pack from a wrapper. She said, "I've never used this pack. No one's got to this stage before." Wow. And I was like, "Right, well, just keep me because it's under time pressure." And I'm just like, "Dun, dun, 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 dun." She's like, "Oh my goodness! Right, okay, we're gonna have to open the next pack." And at the end of it, she said, "You know, there are some people. No matter how much time you give them, will never be able." to finish that puzzle that you just did wow never they just don't have the capacity to think that particular puzzle through and it's the same sometimes with certain tests for example it doesn't matter how long you get given it you know the they've done tests where you know if you give them an extra hour or an extra 10 minutes it doesn't actually change their outcome in terms of marks but with dyslexia it does mm. because it allows you the time to process a, a language or a way of working that is foreign to you and you you internalize it so it's fascinating that you did well in that sat test let's talk more about that in a minute but i'd like to rewind a little bit to the whole bilingual thing
1: mm.
0: because i think there's a lot of people who would resonate with this because i was bilingual as well when i was young i'm not long no longer bilingual and they attributed my difficulties to the other language yeah. and i think this happens a lot in dyslexia that you know everyone is trying to put a reason on it that is not dyslexia mm-hmm. because then it's kind of like, oh, well, you've just got to live with it. There's nothing we can do. You know, you're bilingual or I don't know, you're stupid. It's just the way you are. And we kept, it's not on us sort of thing, you know, as an educator to deal with this. So talk a bit more about your, the bilingual misunderstanding.
1: Well, I guess for me, I never really knew any different cause I was two when I was learning both languages. I have (laughs) I sound like I'm Dutch I have a local southern accent which makes everyone laugh at me because yeah it's just not the proper way of speaking but I love that I can speak two languages because when I'm learning another language like when I was doing German GCSE I wouldn't just translate from English to German I'd go English to Dutch to German because for me it made more sense because the languages were more similar and I knew the sentence structure of Dutch very well so switching over it helped me learn other things like the other language better I have heard that you know but bi- being bilingual helps you process information differently and it helps you process it better in a way because you have different ways of um, understanding things do you but dream
0: in Dutch or English
1: in English but when I first moved back from the Netherlands I was dreaming in Dutch and thinking in Dutch because I missed the language so much and even mm-hmm. now when I hear it or I hear like English accent of Dutch people I'm like I know you're Dutch and it makes me feel so homey and it makes me feel safe because like that was where I grew up it's it's really funny that, you know when you grow up somewhere and you speak another language those memories always stick with you and the way of thinking always sticks with you and yeah even though that that was the country where they said like you know you're stupid you're not able I I still felt like that is kind of like home it still feels safe I don't associate that with a place that says you're not capable because I know that I am capable. Um, but it's also where I got so much help and I got so much support. So
0: so if you're a listener thinking about someone, you, you, you might hear a fellow, a friend. M- most people who hear wake up to their dyslexia, wake up to it because someone says... I think you might be dyslexic yeah. and they get woken up to it and you can forget who that person was and it could be you in the future doing it for someone else. And if you know someone who's got a child or is a person who's bilingual and it's being, you know, blamed on their their difficulties being att- attributed to their bilingual, it could actually be that they're dyslexic and it's not the languages that's tripping them up. It's the dyslexia that's getting in the way. And instead of waiting a long time to find out, it might be useful to mention it to them. So just a, a quick heads up for folks. So Amy, back to the flow of the story, we're doing the SATs. You've done really well. You've got over 97% in some of these grades and you've kind of wowed your, what did your teacher think?
1: I think he always knew that I was capable of doing it and he wanted me to believe it myself. Yes. Yeah, he was always so encouraging and He always taught in such an amazing way. Like if he wasn't teaching a subject, like English just within English, or history just in history, or science just in a science class. Like he, I think it's down to the educational, the baccalaureate way of teaching, but he was really good at it. He inspired me to learn more through the subjects that I was learning. So like he helped me with my science in other lessons, or he he would encourage me that the knowledge was more important than the way of being like assessed on that so I really love to learn I think mainly because of him and like one of the main projects I remember was space and in our design technology class we were developing water rockets but we were learning about the physics behind why does that work you know why does when you build up the pressure in the water bottles the water shoot out and project the this plastic bottle across the playground and my dad's a designer so this project was super exciting for him so we came home and we made so many different prototypes and testing and like I learned so much through that of like trial and error and like it's okay to fail and I remember saying like, I want to go last on the like assessment day at school of like showing this water rocket fly my mum had come along to help out on the day and she's like no she needs to, she needs to go last like I don't know what is going to happen with this rocket it, it needs to go last and And all the kids were like going like 5, 10, 15 meters. The second to last guy managed to go 50 and they were like, wow, he's gonna win! And our rocket was going, we were pumping 5, 10, 15 minutes, nothing. This rocket was like, it was not budging. We were like, we can't stop it now because it will kill, like it could kill someone (laughs) if it launches off and you're in the wrong place. We're like, we just have to keep pumping and hope that it launches at some point. And it flew all the way through the playground through the trees, out the other side of the playground, right into a main road. Luckily it did not hit a car, and it, but it got run over by a car. That was like over a hundred meters. And at that point I was like, whoa, I don't have to like be good at like the standard school stuff of writing to do well and to be creative and to learn something like I can lower my hands and I can have fun while learning. And yeah, I, I think that's part of the reason why I love science and maths and art and being creative is because that was what I was good at and it doesn't need to have language in it um but you can still teach and learn so much through it yeah and when I was doing my undergrad at Brunel I studied product design because I wanted to mix art and maths which is what I did at A level and did really well and incredibly and like just so grateful for all the help that I had and the support that I had to get through school because I know so many kids aren't given that and so many of my friends who are dyslexic but weren't diagnosed until they're at uni and one of my closest friends she's danish grew up in the netherlands but then went to an international school and then came to brunel as well to study um she wasn't diagnosed until our second year like she's dyslexic because of the because of trilingualism like she was learning in english in holland from a danish family and they were like you're not you're just slow because it's another language but actually she was she is dyslexic very capable and she was like oh actually knowing now that I'm dyslexic means that I'm not stupid like I I don't have to blame it on something else I just know that I think differently Um, and it, it gave her a lot of confidence in herself and her own ability which was really cool to see and watch because because I know I knew so young that I just thought differently I learned differently that I was different from other people it meant that I could just be me and not have to worry like, why am I like this? What's wrong with me? I just knew that I was different. And it, it wasn't a label that put me in a box. Actually, it freed me to now understand why I thought differently and why I was able to do other things better than it, some people, but worse.
0: It is fascinating how a, a label can free you. Often, especially educators, can feel like labels can constrict people. But Mm -hmm. from the inside, with dyslexia, the moment you get that label, it's not a ticket, it's an insight. It's an awareness that unlocks lots of doors for you because you start realising that there's often hidden difficulties that get in the way and trip you up and the moment you get that uv light coming on as it were and suddenly you start seeing these invisible things you can just step over them step around them rather than constantly being tripped up in unexpected ways a light goes on and there's a name of that light in this case it would be uv light or this dyslexia scanning as it were Brunel what tell us a little bit about Brunel for international uh, listeners America UK uh, Australia etc what is Brunel?
1: Brunel is a university in West London quite well known for its engineering and design department and that was one of the reasons that I wanted to go there at the time it was one of the best places to study design engineering so I has quite a reputation doesn't it it does it does and
0: it's quite prestigious to get into that
1: yeah and i was so grateful that i got an offer because i wasn't predicted the grades i needed to get in i was predicted a, B, C, abc a levels, and i needed abb B. A, B, B. so i was just like oh i've got the offer now i have to put the work in and, and get, okay. get the
0: grades. and what and, did you get
1: well i woke up on the day of results day to a text from Brunel saying congratulations you got in and I was like but I don't know my results yet oh wow so what are they uh-huh. so in a way I like walked to school quite peaceful because I was like I've got in but now I'm curious as to like what did I actually get I got two A stars and a B wow yeah what, what so were your
0: A stars in
1: art textiles and then my B was in maths art was... textiles and maths yes yeah, well so I predicted an A for art a B for textiles and a C for maths
0: well done. That's quite an achievement. Uh, and for the Americans, is there a dynamic equivalent? With uh, do they do SATs as well? So you did SATs. Is that the same as the Americans? The SAT that you I didn't
1: did. I did the
0: SAT. What did SATs? That's bench? the eleven plus. all oh, right right. Okay, got you. I'm I'm yeah. muddling them up. Okay, so. You then went to Imperial College. Tell us about Imperial College.
1: Yeah, so I went to study innovation design engineering at Imperial and the Royal College of Art. It's a double master's degree. So I actually have an MA and an MSc, which is ridiculous. But after two years of working, uh, studying at both institutions, yeah, you get two. It's one of the best, I would say, design education programs, maybe in the world.
0: Did Johnny Um, Ives, do you know Johnny Ives?
1: Yeah, he studied at Northumbria, but he's on the board of directors for the Royal College of Art, I think.
0: Is he? Right. Yeah. Because Johnny Ives is dyslexic.
1: Yeah. A lot of engineers, a lot of scientists, yeah. a lot of designers, the amazing yeah. innovators are so many of them are dyslexic.
0: Uh, and by the way, Johnny Ives is the guy who invented the iPhone, basically, and the iPad and the Mac. And pretty much every iconic design in in Apple is uh headed up by was headed up by johnny ives so steve yeah. jobs the visionary johnny ives the execution and both of them dyslexic yeah steve jobs dyslexic johnny ives steve jobs actually had a person following him everywhere into every meeting taking notes for him in every meeting
1: that's what you uh, need if that's yeah right.
0: you you do you need a personal At uh, uh, the ideal is not just to take notes but to take visual notes Hmm. Mm-hmm. I would, I would want uh, a person to be taking mind map notes and visual notes of everything so that I can just scan through them quickly and recap on it really easily. Actually, I should ask that right now. it's a later question. Mind mapping. Do you, what's your story with mind mapping? Some people with dyslexia never heard of it. Some people draw maps all the time and other people are kind of, yeah, I tried them, didn't work. Where are you on that scale?
1: I don't use them anymore but when I was studying for my A levels and GCSEs and even into uni for fact based subjects where I had to learn dates names places key quotes I would mind map that for subjects and I would do them per colour so a subject would have a colour and then I could visualize on this page in this colour this is roughly where it is but it wasn't it wasn't a, a like it wasn't there to help me learn the language stuff. It was more of a visual representation of I know that I wrote this thing in this place on the page, and so it then was given like a color and a place and a I could visualize what I was what I'd drawn. But you're not
0: using your positional memory. thinking, your positional memory, yeah, uh, very intentionally there, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it kind of like photographic memory, but not not photographic. Just of I know in this place at this point I wrote this thing, and yeah. so therefore I can go back to that point in my memory yeah um, but I don't use it for notes in work it's but I find that if I type anything I don't remember it I have to write it by hand
0: isn't that fascinating they've yeah. done studies on that on how much you recall when you write something your recall and understanding increases by about 14 to 20 percent if you write it instead of type it
1: mm. so I never used a computer for exams or anything I always wrote by hand yeah um, and did you map
0: by hand as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah, me too. I tried too. and do as little as work by computer as possible, which is hard now that we're all working remotely and therefore everything has to be online so that we can collaborate.
0: Yeah. Have you got an iPad yet with a pen?
1: Oh, but I've applied for the assessor work because of your podcast. Oh, really? So hopefully Great. I will be getting some support, but I would love to be able to take digital notes because i write everything by hand my boss is like please stop writing by hand i want the notes so that i can read them online (laughs) well i tell you what amy I'm
0: i'm just about to do a pilot course with 22 people uh you could be one of them if you want where we do the access to work scheme and I give you a personal assistant dyslexia assistant that helps you stay organized by using an ipad Mm. and paper and drawing it all out and digitizing everything so that you can stay organized if you're interested we talk about that later sounds great this podcast is sponsored by dyslexia productivity coaching.com which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for apple devices so you did the master's, you came across something to do with dyslexia. Yeah. That's quite interesting through your design work. And I think some of our listeners might be interested in this little thing that you came across that could become a very useful learning technique. Tell us a bit more about, so we've heard about your story, what woke, woke you up, what your challenges were. Let's hear about what the reward was from facing these challenges.
1: Well, I will share a little bit about my graduation project, but I can't share too much because we are in the process of getting a patent for it so that we can actually launch as a product. Ah, Um, But it's called Click It. So watch out that at some point we hope to be releasing this product to help kids learn in a multisensory way using colour and boundary objects. Or age four to 17, 18, just all the way through school um, and we've seen such great success of being able to visualize and use color to help people visualize spelling um, as well as shape so that you have an extra thing to associate with the spelling of a word instead of just the letter and these four-year-olds were what key stage one so year one and there were kids that I was like, you're dyslexic, you're not dyslexic, but it helps you. So it was helping like all sorts of SEN students. It wasn't just helping dyslexics and they always found it really fun. And that's what I think is the most important for dyslexics is that you enjoy learning and that you feel that you can achieve something and that you are capable. And that was what we saw from all of the testing while during the pandemic, even online, like I sent these kits out to these kids and was like, so the parents like, can I have them for an hour a day once a week just to, you know, watch them, teach them all online? And it still worked. And they still were super excited. And they always wanted to come back and learn, which is really hard to get, especially during the pandemic when they were unmotivated and not really wanting to learn. And, and school wasn't normal, but learning in a hands on, colourful way and kids that were dyslexic and non-dyslexics were all really enjoying it and it was just so encouraging to see that my my own challenges as a dyslexic helped me visualize and understand 3d objects and prototypes and helped me it helps me today as a designer i'm a designer by trade now and i credit a lot of my ability to being dyslexic and you see that with a lot of designers like so many people who are design are dyslexic so many of my course mates are dyslexic and it's just so amazing to see that our ability is actually helping us help other people and that was what I really wanted to be able to do with my master's project was I wrote my dissertation on the same thing my master's thesis was what should education look like based on the way that a dyslexic learns and how should we be assessing people and assessing children to like progress through education and so I really wanted to be able to put some of that theory into practice in my graduation project. Um, So
0: can you sum up well, you can't tell us about Click It, so when it goes public, uh, come back on the podcast with you and tell us all about it.
1: I will do, definitely. So I'm partnering with a PhD student from Imperial who is researching the value of using boundary objects, so what could be seen as toys, in education from primary to secondary school. And so Shafina Vora is an amazing, amazing teacher, and she's now using her ability and her skill set to teach these kids with Lego and she's teaching the complexity of A-level psychology with Lego and I witnessed it. I went into one of her classes to see how she uses this and she is teaching these complex theories of different psychologists and then within 15 minutes these kids have built together a prototype to explain this theory. And these are like 30 mark A level question answers that they can spit off in five minutes.
0: Wow. And with
1: no problem at all. And I was just like, wow, that is the value of teaching in a dyslexia friendly method. Yeah. Because they're not asking to, she's not asking them to write it. She's asking them to come up with it, explain it, and then visualize it. And that is what we've then been translating into this way of teaching with Clickit, teaching to read and write.
0: Have you come across this book, The Dyslexic Advantage?
1: I have, but I've not read it.
0: Okay, well, I highly recommend you read it or listen to some podcast episodes that we've done.
1: Yeah.
0: Brock Eide has been on the podcast and explained a bit, but we did some chapter summaries mm. and reflections on, on on it earlier in the podcast. But one of the interesting thing was, she said one of their key indicators of a child being dyslexic, dyslexic they say they're Lego kids.
1: Yeah, you and know. I mean, I was playing in my master's degree with Lego. Yeah. <laughs> really really, that is an accurate representation
0: yeah yeah i mean it's just phenomenal lego kids and i think minecraft kids roblox kids probably as well but definitely lego and i and i don't just mean oh they play a bit of lego i mean they're lego kids and um because once you find something to help you speak to help you communicate to help you share what you're thinking and organize what you're thinking and express what you're thinking. And you've got this prototyping tool of Lego. You can really start communicating. This is what I mean, Mum. I, do you know what? I had this f- wonderful experience. Uh, I did this dyslexia Scotland talk, and I did a demonstration of a bullet map. So I've got this, I've designed this way of mind mapping called the bullet map mm-hmm. uh, process which is a way of mind mapping that's designed for the dyslexic thinking process. And so I said, can I have a volunteer of someone who's got something that they're really stressed out about and they don't know what to do next. They've got tons of thoughts and you could be five years old or 50 years old or older, whatever, it doesn't matter. And so one little kid, six years old, puts his hand up and volunteers. There's like 30 people on this Zoom call, right? And the mom's like, oh, you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, I want to do this. And uh, I said, so so what is it you want to do about? And he says, well, it's about my Lego. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, Lego. Now I was thinking schoolwork or a project or something. And the parents are looking at each other going oh gosh yes we're going to go on to the lego and uh, <laughs> i said okay let's go through the process and talk about the lego and so he said so i've got this lego i've got to do and there there's a garage and there's this house and then there's this bit and i've got to do this bit and i've got to do that bit and he just i did this bullet list of all his random ideas And then we went through it and we underlined all the key words and said, right, what are the big ideas you're going to go for here? And we made a map of the big ideas to do with this Lego. And then we talked through it. And then I said, so the purpose of this is to just figure out what's the next best thing to do that you can do in less than 25 minutes. And you see for this little boy, he couldn't go to sleep until he had puzzled out this particular thing. And the parents are like, this has been keeping him up. and and we we figured it out and 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 i said so you tell me what you think you need to do next and he said oh i need to make the garage bigger i said so what 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 do you what what are you going to do in in 25 less than 25 minutes and he says i'm going to go and get all the garage pieces out and put them out down and then i can go to bed and then tomorrow morning i can wake up and do it and so what happened was he actually needed a way to go through all of his thoughts and the Lego was super important to him. Mm. But and we sometimes play it down but he was going through the same thinking process that an architect would go through that yeah. a designer would go through that a business person would go through in dealing with a customer you know journey process or whatever, you know. And these kids are doing it with these prototyping tools.
1: I think it's so valuable to let kids play and yeah I did my dissertation all about dyslexia and the way that we learn so I had to learn how to like normal people or non-dyslexics learn versus how to dyslexics learn and I mean very similar and you can tell that a dyslexic kid has had the support when they can play and they can practice their ideas through make-believe and through play and prototyping and you can see that the dyslexics will keep that going for quite a lot longer because mm. it's the only way they can process information and i definitely played for a lot longer than most of my peers did but it was a way of me being able to process what was happening in the world around me because i couldn't write it down very easily i couldn't get the words out like i had the ideas but even trying to explain my ideas it came out as a jumbled mess and still when writing my dissertation <laughs> i sent my first draft to my mum and she said I like the ideas, but I don't (laughs) understand what you're saying. Because I'm I'm not even going to edit it until you work out, like, what are your key points? Because it's all there, but it's all jumbled up and it doesn't make any sense to me. And so, like, it's still a struggle I have today. I I still struggle with trying to verbalise, either spoken or written, what is it, the key concept? Unless I know it so well and it's just an innate part of my being at that point. And then I can speak pretty well and I can hold my own in a conversation. But if I don't understand something well enough, then it just comes out as this gobbledygook mess. And I think that's what the value of having something tangible, because you can say like this object here means this, this object means this, this object means this. Oh, I can now see how they all link together and I can now tell it to you. But unless you have something to kind of ground that idea on, it makes it really hard to explain it to someone else because you you have all these ideas, but they don't come up to someone else. But when you can visualize it, you can show them these things linked because of this.
0: You're making me think about something here. I I explain my mind to dyslexic kids as if I, 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 the way I explain it to kids when I do kids talks is to say, my mind's like a zero gravity workshop. (laughs) And so imagine your brain is like a workshop and you're building things in the workshop. And you've got a table and you're making something and then you go away for your dinner and you come back and it's all gone. (laughs) That's what my brain's like. And I think, is there something wrong with my memory? What's going wrong? And then it's like someone taps me on the shoulder and says, look up. And I look up and I go oh my goodness it's all bouncing off the ceiling slowly like i'm in space you know mm-hmm. and i've got I've got to reach back up grab that piece grab that piece bring it back down and reorganize it mm-hmm. and every time someone distracts me oh darius can i talk to you about such and such Yes, yeah, sure i look back at the table guess what it's hap it's starting oh, to float. God, again. <laughs> do you know what i mean and yeah. i can't and i say to people who how much gravity have you got are you zero gravity or are you high gravity my wife high gravity she leaves it on the desk she goes away she comes back two weeks later it's there in (laughs) the right order you know yeah there's dust on it you know and um what the key it's kind of like with a zero gravity mind you can let big ideas float and you can watch them you can move them around mm-hmm. reorganizing and you're not kind of always fixing them together like there's gravity and they fall off they just connects and you can move it around and while you've got your attention on it it kind of holds it together and then you take it out of your zero gravity workshop open the door and as you go out the door guess what happens
1: oh, falls apart.
0: yes because you're <laughs> back into gravity yeah and And, and, but the answer is while you're in the gravity is to find a way to stick your ideas together. You don't have to screw them all together and fix it permanently, but you know, some duct tape, some sticky tape or something to fix those ideas together. So when you bring them out, you can show them to someone and they go, oh, that makes sense. You can explain it. You can come back, reorganize it. And I use mind mapping for that. You know my to connect make all the connections quickly instead of long form notes because i spend so much time looking and thinking about the words i've got to write that by the time i look up it's starting to disintegrate again Mm -hmm. so i can jot it down as words and so on but what you're making me think of is when you make these thoughts into objects it's like you're giving them more gravity You like you're giving them more substance to both hold it down and also fix them together
1: yeah what I found when doing this user testing for Click it was not only was it giving them an object to fix an idea to but it was slowing down their thought process it was slowing down their ability so instead of writing it out which can be really quick they had to like find a letter you know, physically build a word and it would take them maybe twice as long but that twice as long gave them the time to fully form the spelling the way that it worked to build a mental image of it what I found when I was um, researching about dyslexia is that we think our ideas come across as fast as movies look right so like every a movie is made from basically lots of lots of photographs all stuck together very quickly which becomes a movie And our brain can actually process information as fast as we see moving images. But a non-dyslexic, a third of that speed. So when they're speaking, their ideas are forming as they're speaking. Whereas we have missed about a billion ideas by the time we've spoken a word. But it also means that when we're trying to understand stuff, we can't because our brain is going too fast and there are a billion different things. And that's why we get distracted so easily And that's why when you come back to an idea it's kind of gone because it was gone in a split second instantly anyway and so what really helps with building in physical is it slows your thought process down it gives you time to start building these connections right so if you spend twice as long to try and physically explain something and to make a prototype or ground an idea to an object you've had time to process like, why is this important? Why am I doing it this way? Why am I thinking this way? Why is this idea linked to something else? Which a lot of non-dyslexics can't do. They can't see the big picture. That's what I find so beautiful about dyslexia is you have like the normal non-dyslexic human brain in the middle and then you have dyslexia at one end and their neural pathways are really long. So they think big picture, right? So the detail becomes quite difficult and is often just lost. It's not important. I want to understand like, why is like one topic related to another? How do they interlink? How can we merge these knowledge processes and these thought, these different thoughts that are going around industry? That's why inventors, so many of them are dyslexic. It's because they're taking ind- information from one industry and plugging it into another and saying, if it works there, why can't it work here? Let's yeah. change up the way that we do business. And then you have, oh, I've forgotten what it is. Autistic. Autism, their ne- neuropathways are so short. So they are the detail-orientated people. And it's just a different way of thinking, right? But that's why you have so many... Greta Thunberg's an amazing example, right? She's so passionate about what the cli- climate change because that is her whole world. Like, she is so knowledgeable about it. But the thought of focusing my attention on one specific thing actually terrifies me because I'm like, but there's so much else to see. And I can actually bring in knowledge from one area to another and help change it. But we need those different ways of thinking in society. We can't just have the mid-level, I can't really think big picture, I can't really think detail, but I can do both pretty well, right? We need those different ways of thinking. And I think that's what's so amazing about society at the moment is that we're starting to see the value of having different neurological pathways and different ways of thinking. And we're seeing the value of those different thought processes. And I'm really grateful to be a dyslexic today and not like 15 years ago because as a kid, it was really hard and people didn't think that it was a real thing. They just thought it was a phase that you grow out of. But today people are becoming a lot more aware of the benefits of being dyslexic. And I love that I'm dyslexic because I don't think I'd be very good at my job if I wasn't. And I love creating and designing and helping people through that ability.
0: Amy it's been fantastic uh, listening to you hearing your story is there anything else you want to share?
1: I think one piece of advice is to believe in yourself as a dyslexic don't let what other people think of you or your lack of ability define what you're able to do and just to keep trying and do what you enjoy because if you don't enjoy it what's the point in trying to study and learn from it And when you do enjoy it and you find that thing, then you will just succeed so much.
0: You know, you're 24. You can probably remember how a 14-year-old's feeling a lot more than most parents (laughs) listening or adults listening, other adults listening. What advice would you give your your 14-year-old self or other sort of children? What, What age would you choose to give some advice to? If you could go back, let's turn it another way. You could go back, send a card to yourself when you were younger. What age would you send it to? And what would it say on the front? And what would it say on the inside?
1: I'd probably actually go really young.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'd
1: probably go to like five or six when starting school. Okay. And I think the biggest thing is just keep trying because it will pay off. Believe in yourself because it will pay off. And
0: five year old Amy gets a card from 24-year-old Amy. What picture is on the front?
1: A Lego brick.
0: Oh, yes. Loving it. Lego brick. What does it say on the front?
1: Keep imagining.
0: Love it. Keep Keep imagining. So five-year-old Amy opens up the keep imagining Lego brick card and inside it says, dear Amy. Your mind
1: is is more able than others say it is. Um, Your creativity and your imagination will bring you further than others say is possible just keep trying it's hard but you can do it
0: okay thanks brilliant what doodles would be in there for amy to understand five-year-old amy to understand
1: a water rocket or a spaceship would be one friends good friendships family because that's so important having a family who support you and encourage you and don't put you in a box of like this is how you need to learn or this is what you need to be but to be given the freedom to try yeah and somehow a doodle to show that failing is not the end of the world and actually is really important learning through trial and error so probably like a lego or something built and then broken on the floor and then rebuilt but better um, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the biggest thing that i've learned is that the Build only it, way break you can- it, rebuild, yeah. rebuild it is to like break down what you think and relearn and just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And it's exhausting, but you'll be so much more able than other people who have never really learned how to fail.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Did your mom share the stick shift analogy with you about the automatic and stick shift car?
1: Yeah, she did. I was like, that's so genius. Cause she taught me to drive last year and she was like, this just feels so appropriate this feels like this is what I was trying to teach you and it's so true and I I definitely feel like some people still are trying to teach people that trying to teach dyslexics that just don't aren't aware of how a dyslexic thinks and when I explain to someone this is how I think and this is how I learn they're like whoa I wouldn't have even known how to start helping you
0: yes So so it's interesting that you were talking about breaking down and remaking you know and doing it over and over again and if you say that to any other dyslexic they would all go well of course if you say Mm -hmm. that to other people they would go oh my goodness that sounds like a lot of wasted time why didn't you just get it right the first time and and get the right answer Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: it's not the way we work and it's kind of like the difference between an automatic thinker and a manual thinker you know this manualness of manipulating different blocks and different things and processing information that didn't quite right, break it back down again, rebuild it back up, break it back down, rebuild it back up. And then all of a sudden you start discovering better ways of making yeah. an iPhone, a phone into an iPhone, better ways of communicating, of designing, etc. It's this often slow thinking, you know, you talk about slow food, the, you know, uh, it's, but we're fast thinkers. But sometimes we're, how can you be a fast thinker, but a slow processor?
1: Do you know why? It's amazing. So when I was researching for my dissertation about the way that the brain learns and develops. So the language processing unit is in, if you look from like the top down of a brain, it's in like the middle of the left hemisphere. And when they scan like a normal brain, when they're reading and writing, that like glows like crazy. When you scan a dyslexic brain, the, the right hemisphere, which is the creative visual physical making hemisphere that side is like on fire glowing and only the tiniest tiniest amount of the like language processing unit is actually lit up so what's amazing is that we're processing information extremely fast to find a new route into the language processing thing so what takes us a lot longer is to go from the physical to the language but we've learned how like billions of different ways to get there so when it then comes to applying knowledge from one area of information to another, we can find a really easy link because you've already done the thought process before. And that is why we're amazing big picture thinkers is because we know how to take the long back roads to find the really interesting answer to then get to point A. We don't just go from A to B. We go like A through the whole alphabet and then back to B. Yes. And But we can do it really fast. If you try to get someone else to do it, they wouldn't, they would be taking hours to take the long route through. Yes. Yes, but we can get there really quickly so we may seem slow from the outside but we're doing 10 times as much work behind yeah. the scenes together yeah.
0: yeah like the duck paddling Yeah. Um, fantastic Amy thanks for sharing where do people go and find out more about you, connect with you or connect with what you're doing or maybe see your dissertation, is it published anywhere?
1: Um, it's on my website which is Kiffin design it's a wix website but if you just type in my name it should come
0: up fantastic we'll put it into the show notes so yeah. if you're listening just swipe up and you'll see some blue hyperlinks in there to click through to amy so amy send us it over and we'll you'll put it in the show notes thanks very much for being here
1: you're very welcome it was great to have this conversation and to share knowledge and hopefully help some other people
0: yeah and uh see you when click it comes out okay
1: definitely definitely
0: okay see ya. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in, because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind-mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.